Okay, let's try that. All right, so this is a part three in our series on atonement, uh, answering the question, how does the death of Jesus save us from our sins? Now, we're really sure of the fact that, that Jesus' death saves us from our sins. That, that's not the question. Uh, you know, we, we, we see that all over Scripture as being true, but, but what we're wondering is how does that work exactly? And we've, we've gone through a couple different explanations for that so far. We've talked about Jesus is our substitute. Okay, he, he takes our place uh, and satisfies the justice of God. We said that Jesus is the victor over evil, that he has uh, defeated the powers of, of the devil uh, that have held us captive. And through his, that defeat, we are free and we are able uh, to serve a new master. Uh, but Tonight we want to talk about a third approach. Uh, this is uh, maybe a little bit further on the periphery. We, we, we've kind of talked about the big ones already. Uh, and so now we're, we're talking about, I think, a little bit, uh, a little bit more minor uh, aspects of atonement. Uh, really, uh, the topic is Jesus as our example. Okay? So that's, that's going to be our third explanation for atonement, uh, and it's, like I said, it, it's, it's one I, I, I feel a little bit less strongly about, and you know, maybe, maybe it'll be a little shorter presentation, I don't know, we'll see how it goes. Uh, but there's a, there's a song that we sing, it's a new song, uh, we actually just sang it last Sunday morning, In Christ Alone. Now, I, I know this crowd is not, not really big on uh, the new songs, maybe, okay, I think there's good reasons to not like new songs sometimes. Uh, you know, new songs have this reputation. They're, they're a little bit simplified, um, you know, where you just kind of say Jesus, Jesus, Jesus over and over, and you don't really say anything worthwhile. Uh, makes it really easy to sing, really easy to learn. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of new songs that, are, that just aren't uh, especially deep in meaning. Uh, but there are these new songs that do give us a little bit more meat, a little bit of thought in the lyrics. And this is one of those songs that has some, some really rich language in it. Um, and so uh, one, one of the verses says, he's talking about atonement too. That's, that's what we're talking about tonight. It says, till on the cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ, I live. Now, uh, this is a song, you know, we sing it this way, but uh, there's a, a Christian group that was putting together a hymnal, and they, they said, we really don't, we don't like those lyrics exactly. Um, we we kind of wanted to change it, maybe change the line. Maybe take that line that says, the wrath of God was satisfied. And let's make that, the love of God was magnified. Okay? Now, before they could print that in their hymnal, they... they email, or they, I don't know how they, they contacted the songwriters and said, can we make this change to your song? The songwriter said, no. Uh, we we uh, said what we meant, we, we mean what we say, uh, we liked it the way it was. Uh, so the, the committee goes back and says, well, can we include this in our hymnal using the original lyrics? Uh, and they decide, no, they won't. 
they drop it from their hymnal uh, because of the line, the wrath of God was satisfied. Okay? So he kind of made some news uh, when all that happened. But I want us to kind of think about that tonight. Okay? Why, why did this group want to change that line so bad? What was their motivation for this? And why did the songwriters make such a big deal about not changing it? And then, when they don't change it, why does the committee, you know, are, they're so opposed to it, they just cut it from their hymnal? You know, think about that a minute. We'll, 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 we'll circle back around. Okay. Am I still on this mic? Sure. About that song for a minute. Well, let's, let's kind of review what we've talked about so far. The first thing we talked about two weeks ago, we said Jesus is our substitute. Okay, and this, the story that this one tells is basically this. Because God is holy, our sins separate us from him. Okay, all of us have sinned. Our sins separate us from God. The penalty for sin is death, and if God is just, he can't just overlook our sin. That would not be just. Uh, and so the penalty for sin must be paid. Uh, we're unable to pay it. God takes it on himself. Jesus comes, he takes our sin, and he suffers the penalty in our place. Okay? He is our substitute. Okay? That's what we talked about two weeks ago. Last week we talked about Jesus as the victor. Okay? A little bit more involved here, maybe. Humanity has been held captive by hostile powers, maybe the devil, maybe our own sin, the law, death. You know, the, the New Testament talks about lots of different aspects of it. Uh, and so we are enslaved to the devil uh, or to these, these powers around us, these, these principalities, these authorities. Uh, there's this whole vocabulary the New Testament has for this. Jesus came to earth and demonstrated his power over the powers of darkness. Okay, he's casting out demons, he's healing, he's showing that he has greater power than these authorities and these forces of evil. Uh, then when Christ dies and is resurrected, he defeats the forces of evil. Okay? He defeats the power of death. Uh, death has no power over him. Uh, because he's defeated those forces, now we're free. Uh, we're able, we've been rescued from our bondage, and we're able to, to join in in that fight against evil. And so, you know, we, uh, as Christians, see part of our mission as, you know, doing what we can to, to push back these forces of evil where we see them. If it's, you know, 
that's poverty, if that's spiritual darkness, uh, whatever, these, whatever form these, these powers take, we take that as part of our Christian mission is to join, in, join Christ in battling against the forces of evil. Lots of New Testament language about this too. You know, about you know, our, our battle uh, is, or is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers. Okay, so that's uh, kind of thread number two of atonement that we talked about. Uh, this week I want to add a new one. Okay, Jesus as our example. Okay, Here, here's the story we're going to tell for this one. The life and death of Jesus provides us a perfect example of a life of love. Okay? Jesus came to this earth and he was the model of what God expected from humanity. Okay? He lives a perfect life. When we see God's love poured out in Jesus, you know, Jesus being willing to die for us, we are motivated to show that same kind of love. Okay? Think about this for a second. So our atonement comes when we see Jesus, see the example he gives us. That, that motivates us to live that same kind of life. And so we stop doing the bad things that we've been doing before we knew about Jesus. Now, you, you kind of, I hope you're, you see some issues here already. This one, this is not how we usually talk about atonement. We don't usually think of, we, we, we do see lots of stuff about uh, following the example of Jesus, but we don't always think about that as that's how we are reconciled to God by following Christ's example. Uh, think about, uh, kind of, this is, ideas of atonement over time, okay? Kind of think about the, the course of, of history from the first century. This is my own kind of illustration on, on how people have talked about atonement using these three threads. Okay, so it starts over on the left with the idea of, you know, all, all three of these are present, uh, but really in the early centuries of Christianity, uh, this, this idea of Jesus as victor is really prominent. A lot of early Christians uh, say a lot about Jesus defeating evil, Jesus paying the ransom for our lives. Now, that's really heavy in the first first century, all the way up, you know, about the first thousand years of Christianity. And then we talked about uh, two weeks ago, a guy named Anselm really started formulating this idea of the substitute. Now, it was there all along. I mean, he, he's working from, from passages like Isaiah 53 that talk about you know, Jesus uh, bearing our transgressions. Uh, so he's not coming up with a new idea, but it really catches, catches hold uh, in, in sort of the, the modern culture. And so the second half of Christianity, the second uh, millennium, uh, that's really been you know, the major... Uh, metaphor for atonement. And then we have example. And it, it's, it's been there all along, but it's, it's kind of been not as heavy, I think. Um, I, 
I, I drew a little bump there, and that's around 1200 AD. Uh, about the time Anselm comes up, you know, really starts formulating this idea of uh, Jesus as our substitute, another guy formulates this idea that Jesus is our example. And it's basically the, this, the story, as I described on the, the last slide, that Jesus gives us an example to follow, and by following that example, we are atoned of our sins. Uh, and I, I kind of feel like maybe in the last hundred years or so, this one is, is starting to creep back in, a little bit more popular. Now, the other two, both Substitute and Victor, are very violent images, okay? Uh, the idea that uh, Jesus is a sacrifice, uh, that his blood is uh, a propitiation to God. Uh, you know, it's, it's a very, uh, you know, a lot of language of, of violence in there. And, and, you know, Victor also, you know, this is kind of a war metaphor, uh, that when Jesus is battling against the powers of evil, that that's also a violent kind of metaphor. Uh, and I think in our, our present day, you know, there's a lot of people who, who are really trying to step away from these images of violence. Uh, we, we really don't, don't, don't like the Old Testament God that, that's very violent. I mean, lots of, of nasty things happen in the Old Testament. Uh, and lots of people just really want to avoid that. Christians want to avoid that. And so I, I think this, this idea of example is starting to become a more acceptable idea. I think that's part of what would motivate people uh, to change the line, the wrath of God is satisfied, to say the love of Christ is magnified. It's a much less violent kind of image right there. Uh, much, much easier uh, to talk about uh, in our culture today. So I think, I think that one may be coming back, and a lot of people are, are reacting against this idea that Jesus is our substitute. I was going to be making a good move there. I was going to help out Daryl, set up my own mic f for him, uh, and so I uh, saved him a lot of trouble there, I, I know. Uh, so let's talk about this, this idea of example in a little bit more detail. Okay, so this is... Man. having all sorts of trouble tonight. Okay, Jesus has our example. This is the story we told. Jesus leaves us an example to follow, and we are so motivated by that example uh, that that encourages us uh, to follow him. Now, like I said, we see language in Scripture that talks about this. We also see uh, some of, oh yeah, some of our, our Scriptures about it, okay? We love because he first loved us, okay? Now, what, I mean, we're trying to figure out what John is saying. Is he saying that we, d we are able to love because he first loved us, that, that you know, before the grace of God, 
we were incapable of loving. Uh, but when we, when, because Christ has loved us, we are able to show that love in return, okay? Uh, we see in Mark that whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me, okay? So he's pointing forward to the cross and saying this is the example that you're going to follow. Or we see in 2 Corinthians, the love of Christ compels us. Okay? Why do we, he's talking about persuading others. Why do we persuade others? Well, we, we just can't help it. The, the love of Christ is such a motivating factor uh, that that is compelling us to follow his example. Okay? Like I said, you know, not, not exactly a strong biblical witness here, I, I, I realize, but I think we, we see some of this idea in here. Uh, we do see it in our songs, and I, I requested uh, the song from Stan. He, he actually asked me, we're, they're catching on, the song leaders are. He said, he said what song do you want me to, to lead tonight? Uh, so they, they figured out how this works. Uh, but we sang, when I survey the wondrous cross, okay? So when I look at the cross of Jesus, it changes my life, okay? My, the things that I thought were important, my richest gain, it's not important anymore now that I, I see what Jesus has done. Uh, all the, the things that, you know, that used to uh, charm me, uh, that used to entertain me, I, I'm going to sacrifice those things now. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Okay? So this love of Jesus is so amazing that it, it, it brings about uh, a life change in us. Okay? That's the song we just sang. Um, maybe, I, I do want to maybe dig, in, dig into this a little bit more detail. In one passage in particular, I think will, will help us as we think about this. Uh, so turn to John chapter 13, if you would. John chapter 13 is the story of Jesus watch, washing the disciples' feet. Okay, just, just days before he, he died, or, or before he's crucified, uh, he uh, is washing the disciples' feet. But I, I think as you, if we read this passage carefully, there's some language in it that kind of stands out. That I think John is not just thinking about this event washing the disciples' feet, he's also thinking about Jesus' death, and he's using some of Jesus' language in pointing out how uh, it's not just about washing the disciples' feet. Let me see if I can explain that to you. Uh, verse 1, John 13, 1, it says, it was Just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Okay, lo lots of translations have lots of different things for that last phrase. That he loved until the end. Uh, he loved to the limit. Uh, yeah, but I think a lot of English translations, uh, I, I, just don't, I just don't understand what that's supposed to mean. To love to the limit. Uh, what... What limit 
Is that talking, or, or if Jesus loved until the end, is that thinking in terms of time? Uh, and I really think the NIV, I think, is, is on to something here. He showed them the full extent of his love, okay? He loved to the max, okay? He loved all that he was capable of loving, okay? Now, is this talking about Jesus washing the disciples' feet as Jesus, the, the full expression of the love of Jesus, that he washes their feet? Now, it is a, it is a loving act, uh, to, for a teacher especially to, to take this low position to serve in this way, but is washing the disciples' feet the full extent of Jesus' love? I, I, I kind of wonder if, if there's a little bit more that he's talking about, that we're just moments away from the crucifixion, and it, the crucifixion is what I would say is the full extent of Jesus' love. Okay? So we start off there, uh, that Jesus is going to, to show them the full extent of his love. Okay? He starts washing their feet, and he comes, in verse 6, he comes to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. Okay, once again, let's think about this. Is, is this just talking about washing the disciples' feet? Does, Jesus, does Peter not understand what Jesus is doing, but later he will understand? Now, part of that I do think fits with, with washing the disciples' feet, but I think kind of in the, in the bigger scheme of this story that the, the disciples do not understand why Jesus is dying or that he is going to die. Uh, we've seen you know, all throughout the Gospels they don't get that. It's only after the resurrection that they start to understand what Jesus has done. So once again, I think this is not just about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. I think he's hinting about his death that, that's very close. Uh, so Peter allows him to wash his feet. And in, in verse 12 now, when Jesus had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? Okay, once again, kind of asking this, this question about understanding. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Okay. So he set an example for them to do. Okay. In one sense, he, he has set an example of service, of uh, showing uh, kindness to other people, uh, putting yourself in a lower position. Uh, but how, I mean, this, this all seems so much so true also to think about the crucifixion, uh, that Jesus is giving an example for them to follow, of a willingness to take up their cross and follow him, to, to use the language of the other Gospels. 
So you know, I think this is an interesting story because it, it, it hints, I think, at this idea that Jesus is giving an example for his disciples to follow, not just by washing feet, but in his willingness to sacrifice himself for the good of others. Okay? So that's, that's kind of my case uh, for Jesus as an example. I feel like it's, it's not, not an especially strong case, and that's why it's, it's kind of, uh, if, I, if I'm going with the golf analogy, you know, this is maybe, this is the one iron uh, that's, it's not an essential piece to your golf game, uh, whereas these other ones, they're so heavy in scripture, uh, that's, that's your driver, that's your putter, that's the things you need on every hole, um, and this one, uh, maybe a little bit less central, but some, some questions about it. How is the example of Jesus different from other inspiring individuals, okay? This is kind of one of my own problems with this is, uh, you know, we, we, we talk about lots of inspiring examples, you know, Gandhi or, or Abraham Lincoln, these, these uh, great examples of people uh, who uh, lived out their life uh, so, uh, so passionately for what they believed in. Uh, you know, those are examples that inspire us. Uh, how is Jesus different than that? Uh, and I think the answer we have to say is, well, it's different because of these, these other things that Jesus did. Uh, the, you know, that Jesus took our sins. Uh, that Jesus defeated evil. Uh, if we just, just use this one analogy of, of Jesus as our example, you know, he doesn't really seem different than everybody else. Uh, and my other issue with this one is, is, is the is human morality is, is following the example of Jesus is that really part of atonement you know typically we think of that that's you know Jesus has forgiven our sins therefore we live a life that uh, is modeled after Jesus it's not that that atones us that's our response to atonement and so I I, I see a lot of the the verses in scripture that talk about uh, living a life of following Jesus, of imitating Jesus, uh, of, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's not really talking about atonement, I feel like. Uh, it's, it's talking about a response to what Jesus has done. Um, so I, I am not, you know, kind of, you know, not really sold on this one, but you have to admit, uh, this is the sort of thing that, you know, really, uh, could fly in our in the wider culture around us. Uh, where we talked about, you know, some of the problems with the other ones are they're really hard to to talk about with other people. That you know, Jesus defeated these cosmic forces of evil. Uh, that's not really a language that our culture uses. Uh, or you know, that Jesus is a is a blood sacrifice that appeases God's sense of justice. You know, that's maybe not the most appealing metaphor to culture. And this one, man, this, yeah, this is very good. I and mean, people like talking about, you know, inspiring examples. Um, it's, but we just have to remember, you know, we, our goal is not uh, to tell them, you know, preach a message that people want to hear. Uh, if we can find some way to, to talk about ways that it does connect with culture, that's good. 
but I don't want to, to get rid of the stuff just because you know, that's not what people want to hear. But I think we do see, even within Christian groups, this idea rising to prominence. Uh, I think it's a, a useful idea if it's in, uh, used in conjunction with some of these other ones. Uh, so, you know, these three threads we've talked about. Jesus is our substitute. Jesus is the victor over evil. Jesus is an example for us. You know, look at that. You know, it kind of works, you know, three dimensions of the atonement then, that Jesus, uh, towards God, provides uh, a satisfaction. Okay? He, he, that's the, the substitute language, that he satisfies God's wrath. Uh, so the atonement in relationship to God is uh, a substitute, that the atonement in relation to these forces of evil, to, toward the devil, you know, Jesus is the victor over those forces. And, and in relationship to us, he provides an example. Now, that kind of works out nicely, I think. Uh, or we can think about, you know, one of the problems we had with talking about Jesus as, our, as the substitute is, you know, what does that do? You know, why did Jesus live on earth uh, if all he did was just, if all he needed to do was die? Uh, or why did he raise from the dead if really the important part was that he died? Uh, and now that we, we've kind of talked about a few different angles here, I think we're starting to get a better handle on some of those things. Why did Jesus live? Well, his life on earth gives us an example of defeating evil and of a, an ethic for our own lives. Why did Jesus raise from the dead? It's, it's part of this defeating the, the powers of death. Uh, and so you know, we, we, I think we want to use all three of these, but I'm still not really sure if we've come about this from the right approach. You know, these are the three threads that people have used throughout history. Uh, they're kind of the, the dominant themes that people have talked about. Philosophers, theologians. Uh, and you know, I've talked to Jim Wilson about this, and, and his, his quote was something like, you know, people just mess things up sometimes. Um, that, you know, what I've tried to do is, is say, well, here's what people are, how people have described it. Let's go back to Scripture and see how we can find these things in Scripture. Uh, but I kind of wonder if that's maybe the wrong direction to go of, you know, here's, here's how people have thought about it. Let's, let's find our support in Scripture. Uh, maybe we need to think, well, you know, what, is, what does Scripture say about it? Uh, let's, let's just start with that and see if that gives us some better language. Now, I think we're going to find these three themes in here, but we might find some others as well. Uh, and so, uh, we'll do, do one more week of atonement, okay? Next week, let's, let's go back to the Bible and see if, if we come up with these same three threads, that that's what uh, people have come up with. Is that what we're going to come up with when we go back to Scripture, okay? Wrap everything up, uh, see if we can, can kind of get a, a picture on, uh, on atonement, uh, I don't think we're going to answer all the questions, uh, but uh, hopefully uh, come up with some, uh, some good explanations for how the death of Jesus uh, deals with 
the problem or, of our sins. Uh, so let's, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll stop there. So next week will be atonement wrap-up, and then the last weekend in, in November, uh, talk about uh, the work we're doing in Burma, uh, kind of a, a history of you know, what's been going on the last three years and what we, we hope to do in the future. Uh, so that'll be the last week in November. And then I think uh, Craig Johnson will be talking about uh, his and Lindsay's uh, time in Germany and their plans. Uh, that'll be the first week in December. So we've kind of got uh, the next few weeks uh, on the schedule. Uh, this evening, if you'd like to take of the Lord's Supper, it's been prepared in room 100, out the, out the, the doors and to the right. Uh, when we think about Jesus as our example and how that relates to uh, sh- sharing the Lord's Supper, you know, one of the, 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 the things that Paul mentions there is to take in a worthy manner. And we wonder, what does it take to mean to take in a worthy manner? I'd say that we take in a worthy manner when, when our attitude is the same as that is of Jesus, of, of Jesus who is willing to die for us you know, when we're focused on what he's done, uh, the, the call is for us to, to put that same attitude into our own lives. And so I, I hope that if, you're, if you will take the Lord's Supper this evening, you take it in a worthy manner. If there's anything else we can help you with this evening, uh, you can let uh, that be known, and we'll uh, sing another song and be dismissed.